There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Welcome back to the show. If you are just joining us, welcome along. It is myself, Chris McCarty, joined by Alex Brune and Matthew Fortune as well. We're deliberating, we're discussing all the big stories in the world of sport. We're keeping you bang up to date with the ongoing sport as well, the 148th Open Championship over at Royal Port Rush. There's also f- pre-season football friendlies as well. Wolves taking on Manchester City. It's Manchester United against Inter Milan. And any moment now as well, we're going to have sporting royalty with us as well. Because I'm delighted to say that joining us is a man who has well dominated inside the octagon of the ultimate fighting championship. It is the one and only Alistair Overeem. He's going to be live on the show. If you've got a question for Alistair, get it in on 4001. This is a man who has beaten the likes of Brock Lesnar, for goodness sake, inside the octagon. He's beaten Junior Dos Santos. He's beaten Mark Hunt, Vitor Belfort. He is a legend in the world of MMA, and he's going to be live on the show in about five minutes' time. Any questions for Alistair? Very much welcome. Let's give you quickly, get up to date on the live sport. Let's start with you, Matthew. You're keeping an eye on the match that is now on a few of the big screens down here at Kickers. It is Wolves against Manchester City. Yes, I am, Chris. It's still nil-nil. We're about 35 minutes gone, and it is all Manchester City. The most striking thing that we've seen since Raheem Sterling's appalling penalty remains Man City's quite appalling second kit, I have to say. I've just seen on Twitter someone saying that kit deserves to have a penalty given against it as it is. It's a weird yellow orangey just a deeply unpleasant kit as it is the mo- the uh, the player wearing it the best is Leroy Sane linked of course with a big money move to Bayern Munich throughout this summer but he is proving to be City's most dangerous player he's just gone close dragging a left foot shot wide of the far post from about 18 yards but every time we glance up at the screen it is a City wave nil nil it is like they're wearing fruit they're, they look like fruit salads out there <laughs> do Manchester City the kit is awful it is like what were those sweets in the UK? Fruit salads and then the other ones that were like licorice. Blackjacks. Blackjacks. Yeah. It, yeah, is, it is like fruit salads. And wolves in their black kit. You're yeah. absolutely it's, right. It's completely bizarre. It's like, you know, <laughs> it looks like wolves playing in the city strip and city playing in the wolf strip. Yeah. It's, it's completely bizarre. You've got to... But it is, it's all city at the moment. And again, it doesn't matter who you put in that terrible jersey or how terrible the jersey <laughs> is, they still seem to play beautiful football. It's the only thing that we can hold, Manchester, uh, hold against Manchester City is their strip, unfortunately. In the other match as well, the Champions, International Champions Cup, I've got no idea how you kind of work it all out. But uh, Manchester United are in action. They're in action against Inter Milan. I can tell you it remains nil-nil. Luke Shaw has gone the closest of any of the players out there. 31 minutes on the clock. I appreciate nothing riding on these International Champions Cup and English Premier League Asian trophies. It is all about fitness and building up to the start of the new football season. I want to just stick with football. We heard before the break Alex give us his appraisal on Liverpool. It was all quite positive, and as it should be, because it's a settled squad coming off the back of a sixth European Cup success, runners-up in the English Premier League. Not so for Arsenal, Matthew. (laughs) Your former employers. I'm, I'm glad I'm here to bring the mood down, Chris. Because are you worried? Yeah, absolutely terrified. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's first world problems. I'll know my team might fall out of the top six. <laughs> but when you look at Arsenal, they are rotten to the core. There is bad management at the top. There's appalling management of contracts, of finances, of playing staff, of organisational structures, of 
fan relationships, every single thing that has happened to that club in the last five years has been progressively moving backwards. Yes, we reached the Europa League final. Yes, we've won FA Cups, of course. I appreciate that I'm almost spoiled from the Arsenal that I grew up on. But if you look at the club, it is so, so badly run. Earlier this week, an open letter by a collective of Arsenal fan groups to the chairman, Stan Gronke, silent Stan. The response from Stan? No, it wasn't. It comes from his son. And it was fighting. It was... It, it said a lot of the things that fans probably wanted to hear, but negated the fact that they've been in charge for the best part of eight or nine years, Chris. The Kroenke administration, KSE, they came in, I think, around 2011 and started stripping away at that club. They bought out stakeholders. The club, uh, club shareholders, who have been members of that football club for years, were told, we have to buy your shares. Given no voice, Stan has turned up at AGM meetings and actually said, I don't know what I'm doing here. There's no right of reply. There's no structure in place to put contracts. If you look at just three players that Arsenal have lost in a market where Tyrone Mings, Bournemouth's fifth best centre-half, can be sold for 20-plus million pounds to Aston Villa, Arsenal let Aaron Ramsey go on a free contract. Yeah. Alexis Sanchez wind down his contract to the point where we had to pay Henrik Mkhitaryan 250 grand a week. Danny Welbeck. Danny Welbeck is a 20, 25, 30 million pound player in this market. Jack Wilshere, I know you and I disagree on, on his skill set, but as an England central midfielder, that's another 20 million. The club is absolutely rotten. You look at Sven Mittlenstadt, comes in as part of this rejuvenated look for new players. What happens? The new manager overrules him and tries to sign Denis Suarez, who plays for about 30 minutes, get gingered, and he's sent back to Barcelona and sold himself. It's an absolute shambles, Chris, and, and that's why I'm worried. I'm not worried because I think, oh, it's not, we're not going to challenge for a title. I'm worried because my club is progressively going backwards and backwards and backwards, while you look at the likes of Wolverhampton Wanderers, giant steps forward. You even look at Liverpool, you look at Spurs down the road. Goodness <laughs> me, everything that Spurs do, you now look lovingly down the Seven Sisters Road and think, that stadium's nicer than ours, your manager's a lot like, more likeable than ours, your youth system is bringing better players through at the moment, you fill your stadium, you do well in Europe. It's awful to be an Arsenal fan at the moment, Chris. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting. It's like li listening to when Liverpool had Gillette and Hicks. Exactly. Yeah. We're, luckily, we only had them for a very, very short time. They were replaced by FSG, who've done a tremendous job. Yeah. Um, and we're very lucky there. But I remember being at Liverpool in the middle of the Gillette's Hicks when there was, a, there was actually a protest at the ground and all the Liverpool, play, uh, Liverpool fans were dressed in black jerseys. They all wear black jerseys for the game and they all had a sit-in after the match to try and get rid of Gillette and Hicks. It was a 2-2 draw, uh, Sunderland against Liverpool. Mignolet was actually in goal for Sunderland that day. And everybody was there and sat in and they all basically uh, protested for about a couple of hours afterwards um, to get rid of Gillette and Hicks. Yeah. Thankfully they went and thankfully FSG have done a, done a great job. But you're in a, in a much worse position and it's gone on for double the time Gillette and Hicks were at Liverpool. It's ridiculous. You're actually at that stage with Arsenal that the, the problem with being in London as well is that protests don't necessarily make the big impact. We're not like Newcastle United, a big one-club city, where if the, play, if the fans stop going, it's patently obvious. We're Arsenal Football Club in a very trendy part of North London. If our core fans stop going, tourists will flood. That's not a problem. People, because we've got such brand awareness all over the world, people will still come to the ground. So it has to come to the point, the fact that all of these supporters clubs have unified and written an open letter. And it was very honest. It was very much like I say, yes, it could be worse. We could have Mike Ashley in charge of us stripping assets and not investing. But because of the, because we're slipping backwards constantly, it's really, really difficult. And all Arsenal fans want is just a bit of 
clarity, to be given a voice like we always had. We were the Bank of England club. We were we didn't float on the stock exchange. Club uh, fans owned shares in the club. We had a great youth system that came through. We were enormously successful. And slowly but surely, it is backwards, backwards, backwards. And Liverpool went through the same thing because you had an ownership that didn't care about success in sport. Stan Kroenke moved a team from where they were to a completely different city. Did not care doesn't care about victory, doesn't care about anything, strips assets when he's sitting at home on his own enormous fortune and is married to a woman who's the heir to the Walmart fortune. Yeah. He can certainly find 10 million quid in his back pocket to sign a decent player. And then you look at the activity we've done during this window. Yes, Gabriele Martinelli might be a talented prospect, but we've just spent the best part of three weeks, then Spurs coming into usurpers on a defender, I'm sure will be very talented, we're sending him back yeah. for a season on loan to St Etienne. <laughs> it makes no sense. Sure, I could come back and eat my words in 10 years' time when he's a £100 million centre-half and he's led us to all these kind of things, but why are we investing time and money in a player that can make no difference to a team that has conceded more and more goals on a yearly basis for the last eight years? What's the answer? Do you know what, Chris? I actually don't know what the answer is. The simple answer is you remove the ownership. I think the manager is doing an okay job. The problem is we can't we can't uh, shop on the high street anymore for managers. We have to go round the back to the knockoff market and find the <laughs> Europa League manager, and that's a real challenge. And this, and I I hate the fact that I think it. The buck almost stops with Arsene Wenger. He stripped away, he was so stubborn, wonderful man, a wonderful human being, did incredible things for the club, but his stubbornness has cost Arsenal at a time when modernisation was key. He modernised in 98, fine. He did not modernise from 2011 to 2017-18. And clubs like Liverpool, clubs like Tottenham, put the right things in place to make sure they caught up. It's, 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 it's not tragic by virtue of other things that happen in this world. It's just such a, such a shame to see an institution be so, so badly run. So to answer the question, what needs to change? Top to bottom, Chris. Top to bottom for Arsenal. We've got a Liverpool fan here doing a wee Irish jig. I think he's so excited. <laughs> just with the laughing things. in my face, he is. <laughs> Manchester United have got problems, although Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is at least spending money. It's at least that's one thing with the Glazers, that they are giving their manager, and Ed Woodward has been given the green light to strengthen areas. Whether it works out or not is another matter. I want to touch on Newcastle United as well, because whilst Arsenal fans think they've got it tough, <laughs> Newcastle United fans... Oh my goodness, they have been in their droves on social media. Rafa Benitez gone, we know that. I always think there was most to that story in actual fact, Rafa Benitez. I think he played a blinder from a PR perspective to head on off to China for £12 million a year and still come away with it with backslapping from Newcastle fans. Steve Bruce though, Alex, it's fair to say that he's not everyone's cup of tea. Well, I've seen a lot of people yeah. describe him as a bit of a managerial dinosaur. Listen, I think, I think the great statistic here is he was the 11th choice. He was number 11 on their list to get, and they finally got him. Listen, I think it's very sad for Newcastle. I think they're a great club. You've got to love Newcastle supporters. Newcastle fans are unbelievable. They stick behind their club. It doesn't matter what happens, however bad it gets. There are 45,000 there every single week. Even yeah. if they're losing 8-0, they're still there. So I absolutely love the Geordies. Absolutely love their support of their club. Rafa Benitez did a great job while he was there. And it's very sad to see him go out the door. Great manager. We still love him at Liverpool for what he achieved at Liverpool. Great manager. So listen, I think it's a really, really sad times for Newcastle. And again, it's a manager who does not have 
the club's success at his heart. Yeah. He just wants to make sure that his bank balance or the balance of the club is in black, you know, and he's not willing to take a risk. He's not willing to go for a few big players. He's just banking on the fact that the supporters will be there every week to support him and he'll stay in the Premier League and then he's going to line his pockets. The stats do not read well if you are a Steve Bruce fan. Now, I appreciate Steve Bruce, a wonderful defender. Always amazes me. He never did win an England cap, did Steve Bruce. I just always remember that famous miss at the far post where he does a little jig at the... Uh, he approaches the back. He was one of those kind of players that he just... Because he's a, he's a big fella, that's not unfair yeah. to say. I mean, he certainly wouldn't survive in, the, in this era of, of elite athleticism within the football game. He just always struck me as a, just, a, just a bit of a bumbling kind of bloke. And I think, and I think that's followed into his managerial career. And, it, and it's just such an odd appointment. I know you've got the stats there, Chris. But one thing that I think is quite interesting to see, this is a guy now who has managed Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Birmingham City and Aston Villa Correct. and now Sunderland and Newcastle United I mean he's certainly not got loyalty in no. the heart of his key values has he, he? that's does sure. not. it's a great start that in actual fact and again I think I read this out on the show and off script extra time earlier this week among the 33 managers to have managed 200 or more Premier League games this does not read well if you are a Newcastle fan Bruins, uh, Bruce's win percentage sorry is 28.1% oh. only one Ouch. man has a worse percentage of winning matches than Steve Bruce and that is his old mucker at Manchester United Brian Robson oh interesting goodness me 26.8% but he was a nice guy though Brian Robson you can't take that away from him oh uh, listen and Bruce he is as well I've never had the pleasure but I've heard stories listen he, he's a man who has as, as Matt rightly points out he's managed a whole host of football clubs he's had he's been successful he's taken a couple of clubs up the problem is he's also taken a couple of clubs <laughs> down because he has been relegated from the Premier League 2006 with Birmingham 2015 of course with Hull City his highest finish in the Premier League is 10th that was with Birmingham in 2003 and 04 Sunderland in 10 and in 11 and when you also throw in the fact that Newcastle this summer have sold Ayoso Perez, yeah. they've sold Salomon Rondon, and when you take their, those two guys and the goals that they scored, I think they scored 23 of 42 last season, that's about 56% of the total team's output. And it's just the sad thing for Newcastle fans is that 10th will be fine. If he can come in and finish 10th... Oh. He'll be manager of the year. Yep, if the owner of the club will be very happy that they're finished 10th and they're going to stay there. But I just think Newcastle, they deserve more. They deserve much more. What, do you know what? It is an absolutely... That is a sleeping giant of a football club. I've been... I've been well, I said the fortune to go to the game and the misfortune for it to be a game where Arsenal threw away a 4-0 lead on my 25th birthday. That was quite a, quite an awakening. But it's an incredible club. It's the stadium. In, I know it, it's old ground, but it's, it's, a, it's a stadium in the heart of the city. It's packed every single week. The fans are brilliant. I urge anyone, actually, you want to talk about good football fans and good short documentaries, search for on Vimeo a nine-minute documentary of the Northeast Derby between Sunderland and Newcastle. It is one of the most fascinating and terrifying views <laughs> of frontline football sport. No violence, absolutely no violence. It's just about the atmosphere in that city because, I've, as I say, I've done that walk. You walk from the train station up through the heart of town through narrow alleyways and this enormous yeah. St. James's Park just opens up in front of you and it's packed throngs of people all making a racket. It's absolutely brilliant. That club with the right buyer could go on to massive, massive things at a time when 
clubs like Arsenal, giants like Manchester United are wavering. It shouldn't be Leicester City and Wolves knocking on the door. It should be a big club like Newcastle. Yeah, got to agree with that. But it's so much of it is that, I mean, you've got to get all the elements in place, don't you? And this is where Liverpool's so lucky now because Jurgen Klopp's done an amazing job. But you've got to remember Peter Moore, the CEO, who was out here in Dubai, of course. He came out to yeah. the, and he also came. He took one night out to come and speak to the Dubai Reds fans club. Brilliant. He came and speak at the Rami Rose and, and gave a really in-depth about what was happening at the club, completely off the record. Very interesting stuff that he was talking about. But, you know, he's a guy who comes from Silicon Valley. In, yeah. in California, that's his background. He comes from Sega, he comes from Microsoft, and they've brought him in as the CEO. So you've got him leading the way, you've got a really good director of uh, football, you've got Jurgen Klopp as well, you've got the managers, and everything is in place structure. there. And so the success that FSG had at Boston Red Sox is starting to come to Liverpool. But it, it, this is what baffles me. With it's like, it's like you walk into a football boardroom and it, your mind gets poisoned. Yeah. Stan Kroenke is a phenomenally successful businessman. But you put him in a, a sports environment, especially in the Arsenal sports environment. In fact, most of what he's done in the US, and it just goes to potty. It's madness. Mike Ashley, Sports Direct. I mean, it's not the sort of shop you want to go shopping for Christmas presents in, but it does very, very, very well because it's a smart business model, and he's made himself from from not a lot into a very successful businessman, and then seemingly goes into a football club and just thinks nothing to happen. Yeah. It's bizarre. Can I tell you what I think it is? I think it's when. Uh, the managers, the owners of the club think they know football. Yeah. So Kroenke and Ashley come and say, oh, you should buy that player, you should buy that player, you should buy that player. The first thing that Peter Moore came in and said, I do not talk about football with Jurgen Klopp. He does the, the football, way it should be. I does the business. Yeah. That's the way it works. Yeah. I know nothing about football. You know, he, Of course, Moore has been a passionate Liverpool fan. He would love them to buy this player, that player, but he never talks about it. You know, and it was, and just to mention briefly, when I was with the Springboks years ago, it was the same thing with Nick Mallett. Nick Mallett told me very early on, never talk to me about rugby. And I never did. Yeah. I talked to him, all the media, all the PR, everything that was going on in terms of the government, the state of South Africa at the time, but I never spoke to him about what I thought about this player or that player or whatever, because it has nothing to do with it. No, it's knowing your lane, it's staying in it. Absolutely. Ed Woodward, I mean, as successful as Ed Woodward is, at making sure there's a paint name of a paint company on the <laughs> sleeve of the arm. He isn't a football man, and we're seeing it time and time again. Simply put, far too much money in the game nowadays, and these clubs, I hate to say it, but they're almost affording to lose all their money. I want to just touch on another manager if we can, very briefly, because uh, I'm not sure if you boys would have seen the story this week out of Bournemouth. Eddie Howe, over in Spain, being mic'd up for training. I've got a little clip of this. Incredible Jeez. little initiative, this. Absolutely fascinating. The whole video, it's about ten and a half minutes in length. It is on YouTube. I would implore anyone that loves their football, anyone that wants a little bit of insight into what goes on in the training ground, check it out. It's an amazing little bit of footage. Here is Eddie Howe, mic'd up in training. Great insight. And to come away from over three and a half minutes with one goal is poor. So that tells me what? What does that tell me? Okay, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go more crude than that. Where are you mentally? So I look at the three V2s, the first few are an absolute Joke. No movement, no runs, overlaps. Uh, Goz, you, you were talking to Kingy, and for me that was absolutely right. Get round him, and it was almost like a long way round him. Yeah, but we need that movement and that combination. If you come out in straight lines all the time, Kingy, the drill doesn't work. And that's counter-attacking in a game where we were devastating last year. It's, it comes from movement. Your voice when you do overlap. H, your overlap was the best. Create space for Brooksy. Brooksy brings it in the bottom corner. Without that movement, he doesn't score the goal. So sacrificial to a point has to be done. Better. Decision making. Oh, what a goal.
This is The Grill, live from Kickers Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back to the show. We're going to be in conversation any moment now with Alistair Overeem. What a legend of MMA he is, UFC great as well. He is with us and he is going to be with us for the next 20 minutes or so. If you've got a question for Alistair, then please do get it in on 4001. A legend of the sport, 39 years of age, and he is here in the country. Before any of that, though, I want to get the boys' thoughts. We heard that little clip from Eddie Howe. Fantastic that, real good insight and a wonderful little uh, initiative that from yeah. I was a bit nervous Chris when he said I've queued up a uh, live microphone from a manager's touchline performance <laughs> I thought you can't play that on the radio here yeah fascinating stuff and I like that about Eddie Howe always very open always very honest and the fact that they've released what essentially boils down to some pretty harsh criticism of his own players gives you some real understanding of the sort of club culture that they have at Bournemouth it is very open it's very much we're all in this together he's not humiliating Josh King it was there and explaining the things that he's doing wrong which actually I mean, I'm not a very good centre forward, but I know you don't <laughs> just run in straight lines when you're counter-attacking. But to hear that and for him to leave that open for people to understand this is the difference I'm playing, I thought it was really interesting. It's, it's the character of a manager that makes so much difference. And, it, I mean, certainly you must ask yourself as an Arsenal fan, why didn't someone like Eddie Howe come into that job at Arsenal? He's done yeah. such a great job at Bournemouth. And at Bournemouth and Wolves, they have a great energy about them. They're very positive. They're very forward-thinking. They're a sort of younger club. And that energy and that innovation that they're showing is tremendous. When we talk managers, you're absolutely spot on. And when we talk about initiatives like that, technology in sport, it's it's the buzzword right now. We know VAR is coming into the Premier League next season. And whether you like it or not, it's here to stay. But those kind of initiatives, in terms of bringing more insight, bringing fans closer, you know, a lot of talk's been had recently about the fact that these millionaires, these multi-millionaires are so far removed from the working class man or woman, whoever follows the game of football and whatever sport you may be in. It's initiatives like that, and I appreciate that it's very difficult to mic up Eddie Howe and release that in the build-up to a big Premier League match mm. on a Saturday because you don't want to give your opponent any little advantage. But things like that, surely they are things that need to be looked at, and that is the way forward to bring us, the fans, closer to what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... Uh that's the thing, it's, as you said earlier, you have to always keep moving forward. You have to keep finding the innovations, you have to keep pushing the envelope, you have to be you know, breaking it. If you're not, then you're going to be slipping behind. And this is Bournemouth. Bournemouth know that they know they have to fight. They've stayed in the Premier League for a while, but to get there again this year, they're going to have to push the boundaries again. Mm. They're going to have to keep improving again. Because I can tell you, Villa are going to want to stay there. They're not going to want to go down again. Sheffield, you know, they're not going to want to go down. These, te these teams are going to stay there in the Premier League. So Bournemouth have got to keep good. They've got to keep hungry. Does he get a big job one day, Eddie Howe? You would think so, wouldn't you? I think, yeah, I think to define a big job, does he take, because to, to me, a big job now Spurs is, after Poch? No, absolutely not. Uh, Eddie Howe hasn't, Spurs is a, is a huge job. That's the runners-up in the European Cup. That is a big ask for a guy who has, while absolute credit for the journey he's taken Bournemouth on, hasn't delivered over a full 38-game season yet for me. Hasn't gone deep enough into cup competitions. Hasn't really banged on the door like, Leicester's a bad example, obviously winning the title a few years ago, but hasn't, like Wolves did, already you would say that Nuno Espirito Santo has done a better job in the Premier League than Eddie Howe does. I want to come back just quickly, if you don't mind, Chris, to the point that you were saying there about football clubs. I remember in my, my very first job, actually, in, in journalism was working for Arsenal Football Club, working for the in-house website, and it was so protected back then. It, it predates social media, certainly, but it was so protected. Everything we wrote had to go through a press office, and I know it is now, but actually in my line of work at the moment, I look to sports clubs 
as brands that are doing communication about their brand very, very well. Yeah. Football clubs all over the place, they have giant media teams that go and they film this, they film that, they do fun, quirky bits with players. I actually think football clubs specifically have made massive, massive steps forward to be more open. I think at the time when you and I would have been growing up, they were very, very closed spaces. Just before us, very, very open spaces. Then they got very, very closed. Now they're much more open. Yes, of course, it's managed to within an inch of its life, but it does feel so much more open. Their social media behavior, players taking over Snapchat channels. It's brilliant, I think, and I think just opening it up a little bit more yeah. like Eddie Howe has done will take Bournemouth up that level to openness and approachability as a smaller club within the Premier League. If I can just jump in here, I'm going to talk about a subject that a lot of people out there listening might think, you know, what is he talking about? I'm going to talk about messaging. Mm. The messaging is really important. And, I mean, to talk about the club I love, Liverpool, their messaging this year has been fantastic. And last year they came up with this campaign called This Means More. And the whole club was kind of united around that. A beautiful poem was written, which Jurgen Klopp reads about, about Liverpool and Liverpool fans and what it means. And that came out before last, the start of last season. Now, did this means more? Did that campaign, did Klopp reading that poem to the video that went with it, did any of that have anything to do with the success of last year? Who knows, you know? Mm. But I think if you get it off, off the field right, if you get the messaging there, it's a lot easier for the players. And there's also on the Liverpool site, they run this, this thing about 50 people who made Liverpool. And it's all the players from... And there's a little video now about the first time Liverpool ever played, which, which they played as they the offshoot of Everton, basically, and played in blue and white in their first game. So all these things help with the mythology. And if you go back to what we were talking earlier, when we talk about Federer and Djokovic, Federer's messaging is a lot better than Djokovic's yeah. messaging. So yeah. everybody loves Federer because of his messaging, whereas Djokovic, what do you think about? Do you think about what was the donkey cheese that he bought all the donkey cheese or something years ago? <laughs> so these are the things that come out. So the messaging is really important. And if you think of the messaging now of Arsenal, I don't know what it is. Oh, no, you think yeah. of the messaging with Manchester United, I don't know what it is. But Liverpool, I know what it is. City, I know what it is. And this is the thing, it's like clubs losing their identities. You were a media manager. We touched on it earlier, Alex. You spent five years with the Springboks, the South African rugby union side. You spent a year as well with the British and Irish lines in 2001 is it easier now in today's world the social media and how prevalent it is is it easier being a media manager do you think now than before or harder because it's difficult to keep a lid on all of your kind of key protagonists it's in one way it's easier in the other way it's harder in 2001 the tour of course was destroyed because matt dawson wrote a column, Ghost wrote a, wrote a column after we won the first test saying that the, the tour was falling apart, players were going off tour, etc. And that we actually won the first test in Brisbane. The whole club, the whole team should have been coming together, but instead we were split apart by this. And Austin Healy, of course, was on the tour too. He was writing crazy ghost columns as well. So we had a massive problem there. So it depends if how disciplined the players are. It depends how strong the messaging is. If everybody is heading in the right direction. And the problem is when you start people like Paul Pogba, who go off message, who drop in these weird and odd things that then splits the club, and a media manager has to spend two weeks dealing with some nonsense tweet that a player put out, you know, at 11, quarter past 11 at night because he was, I don't know, lost a Nintendo game, you know, or lost lost on Xbox. So, I mean, this is the thing you have to deal with it. So it's, it's very, very tricky, but I look at the teams that I've been involved with that have been really successful, such as the 1995 Springboks. The messaging was very, very clear. It was Edward Griffiths who came up with that, of course, who was the CEO of Saracens for many years. Edward came up with the one team, one nation. 
and everybody got behind that. Mandela, of course, yeah. bought into it, and it caused this wonderful mythology around the, that Springbok team that went on to win the, the World Cup. So the messaging is very, very important, and that identity that everybody can cling to. And when a team starts to lose that identity or doesn't don't know what they stand for yeah. anymore, you know, like Spurs, they have a strong identity now. They know what they stand for. They're these upstarts in North London taking over from Arsenal. You know, they're taking the mantle. Well, <laughs> you're absolutely spot on, Alex. You're absolutely right. I've never thought of it like that before. Getting the kind of messaging and knowing where you're all going off the field can help you go places on the field as well. 4-0-0-1, keep your thoughts coming in. When we come back, we are in conversation with a big fella. He is monstrous. He is Alistair Overeem. He is an MMA legend. UFC's Alistair Overeem with us next. Stay tuned. This is The Grill, live from Kickers Sports Bar, where the game is always on. Yeah, welcome back to the show. It is myself, Chris McCarty, joined as I always am by a litany of experts in their field. I'm joined this afternoon by Matthew Fortune. I'm also joined as well by Alex Brune. We're talking all things sport. We have been since three o'clock and we're with you through until six o'clock. We are now joined, however, by a legend in his field. Matthew Fortune, with the greatest of respects, is not a legend in his field, although he's good. Alex Brune is good at what he does. He's not a legend. This man is. We're talking all things MMA. We're talking UFC. This man has fought 63 times in mixed martial arts he's 145 it is the one and only Alistair Overeem and Alistair welcome to the grill yeah, my man thanks, thanks for having me uh, uh, a couple uh, things to cut cut in so what makes a legend in your in your opinion someone who has excelled at their chosen field and the greatest of respects to these boys and me I don't think we do that on a regular basis you've done that okay and then another thing to correct you I actually have 90 fights everything 90 yeah, because I did the kickboxing, kickboxing. fights and K1 fights, and they're okay. not uh, in my MMA record. Okay, so MMA 90 fights. fights in total then, Alistair. You are a legend, there's no doubt about that. Talk to us, UFC, very much on the map, UFC 242, we're getting excited about that. Down in Abu Dhabi, September 7th. Coming up. It's going to be great, can't wait for that. We'll get your thoughts on it in a moment. Before all of that, though, the reasons that you're over in this part of the world. Yeah, so um, in my downtime, I love, love to travel, and um, yeah, we are doing some appearances now here. So we just came from uh, Bratislava, Slovakia. We did uh, had a great seminar there, great people down there. And then now we're doing one in Dubai, meet and greet seminar. So after this uh, radio interview, we're going to head there. Tomorrow to Bahrain. <laughs> And then a couple of days later to Oman, and that'll be the last and final stop because I need to get back in training camp because all this traveling and enjoying life, yeah, we cannot have that suffering the training, right? You are a busy boy, there's no doubt about that, Alistair. And you remain as committed as always, you yeah, are still? Yeah, yeah, I'm very committed. Um, you know, I never really talk about it, but I, you, I, I always say you can see it in my actions, you can see it in the work that I put in, the work ethic. Of course, you guys don't see my work ethic. But my coaches, the people around me, they know I'm, I'm very dedicated. And, uh, and I think I've always been dedicated. That, that's what took me to 90 fights. Right? 22 years of active uh, competition. Years. It's quite remarkable. It really is. It, we've been talking today about mentality. What is it at the elite level? What is it about mentally? Being able to, every single day, work your socks off, work your behind off, to be the very best. Is that something that comes from your upbringing? Is that something that's just inherent? How did you kind of find so your I, way? Um, I thought about that a lot, right? Motivation, what is yeah. somebody's motivation? Because 
first of all, I think um, I, for me it's not work. You said to work hard every day. For me, I love to train. So, I mean, if it would be hard work, I probably would not do it because I, I don't like hard work. I don't like nine to five. I just really dislike that. So for me, it would have been another field uh, anyways, right? And I was looking at the um, army stuff when I was growing up. Um, yeah, something different. Uh, I, I guess I am an adrenaline junkie. I guess I am an action guy. Uh, I found my thing in the sport. I, I just love it. I love to be on the mat. I love to move. I love to train. The feeling that you get after it's completed. Uh, the endorphins uh, running. So to me, um, I'm just doing what I love every day. And, and, and you know, even though I work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it does not feel like that. It's, we're, of course, here at Kickers, and downstairs is Fit Republic, which yeah. is one of uh, Dubai's top gyms. And every day you walk past, you see 100 people there working hard, doing exactly what you do. But the question I've got for you is, is what is the mentality like when you go into that octagon? I mean, uh, because I mean, you're there, you're walking in there, someone is facing you who wants to hurt you. Who wants to kill you. Exactly. <laughs> so what, I mean, what is the mentality? Because yeah. you can't think about that. Do you just think about yeah, you have to be. Uh, you have to be tough, and it's not for everybody. But, uh, you know, everybody in, in them does have a warrior. But it's not for everybody to go into the octagon and fight. Because you have to, you have to, you have to be. Um, I would not say disturbed, but you have to be very aggressive. I, I kind of always had it. I always, I mean, I remember when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, I was already fighting in the streets and this and that. Never really got in trouble. It was never really any serious. You know, I was even before that, seven, eight, nine. I was looking at Hulk Hogan, loved Hulk Hogan. You know, the slams, the Ultimate War. So I always had that physical thing in me. Um, yeah, and it just kept expanding, I guess. You've said that, Alistair. You've said that you love it. But, but what keeps you going? Is it the love of what you do? Because you've done, you've done it yeah, all. But it's 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 also the lifestyle, right? Because you're uh, training, you're hanging out with your buddies, you're improving your technique, you're learning new stuff. I trained 26 years, so you know you're always learning, you're always developing, you're always, and um, it's a lifestyle. Because if we're if we're honest, what else would I do? I would go back to normal life or something. I don't I don't have to work anymore, so that's not yeah. the thing anymore. But what would I do. It would be very boring, I think. You know, and a normal job, I, w I wouldn't like that. So <laughs> forget about that straight away. So when no, I mean, what 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 would somebody do if they, if, you know? I just love my sport. But, but there will come a time, Alistair. You know that there will come a time where your career will come to an end. Correct. Have you, have you contemplated? Are you aware of when that time will come? Well, um, how old do you think I am? How old am I? You're 39. <laughs> Take a guess. Ah, you knew already. You bastard. You knew already. Ah, <laughs> you're 39. Okay, no, but um, so I'm 39. So indeed, the end is coming. I'm thinking about it uh, a lot. I've always thought about the future. Hey, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, I will, in all probability, become a coach. Three hours a day max, not more, just a couple hours a day. Exactly what I'm doing now, right? But then you're directing other fighters, other people, people that like to get in shape. I've, I have so much knowledge. Again, 26 years training, reading, I'm a very curious human being, so always developing. Uh, and I think for me it would be great to uh, pass on the knowledge, deal with people, because that's also uh, a good thing, right? Dealing with people, people coming, people going. I have three lovely daughters. Hopefully we're going to have a couple more, so I'll probably be raising my kids. Um, yeah, and that'll be it. You mentioned there that you're quite inquisitive. 
you're a curious individual, I think is exactly yes. what you said. Give us a, an insight. What does Alistair Overeem enjoy doing away from the gym, away from the octagon? So I love history, uh, read about history every day, I could say. Human psychology, you know, why are the things happening the way they are? Um, yeah, and then I have to say that uh, curiosity comes very in handy when you're an athlete because there's so much to learn about mixed martial arts, right? The diet, the, the, the body, the, the injury prevention, of course, the, the art itself, striking, uh, clinching, uh, wrestling, submission game, BJJ. So there's so much to, to uh, and I'm just very curious. I just love to soak up knowledge. When you're in that uh, octagon again and you, you, you're looking at someone across just before or during the fight, can you ever sort of look in their eyes and sense fear? Can you sense when they're gone? Can you sense when they've lost it when you're getting on top? Is that a mental yeah. thing that's there? Yeah, usually I can see some fear. Not always. Some guys are tough. Some guys are, are um, maybe a little bit more crazy than I am. <laughs> but uh, some, some, some guys are tough also in the beginning, but then you have to kind of uh, take their soul a little bit and then you see them break. So it's uh, it depends. It depends. Some some several of them are already afraid when they're standing in there. It's kind of funny because um, I think, in my opinion, everybody at that time when the fight starts, there everybody all has a little bit of like, hey, what am I doing here? Because it is a tense moment, right? It's it's violence. It's going to hurt each other. Somebody's going to be on top. Someone is going to be on the, on the on the bottom. Literally, canvas face down. But also, um, there's like thousands of people in attendance, millions watching live. So it is, it is a tense moment, and uh, I think that everybody feels that, you know, the adrenaline is through the roof, every fighter, so, uh, yeah. In terms of your career highlights, you fought everyone, and I say everyone, you fought some incredible fighters over your career. Is there any one moment, a couple of moments, a couple of fighters? Uh, yeah, certainly. I uh, remember my first world title. Uh, was in Holland. It was a big event, 10,000 people, big at that time. It was my first world title, you never forget that, right? I won it in one minute, didn't get a stretch. Um, I clearly remember Vito Belfort and Igor Vovchanchin in the light heavyweight Grand Prix Pride, 2005. Great legendary fighters who I um, looked up to a lot, tremendously. And then you're fighting them, so that's like strange, right? You're fighting your legend that you looked up to for many, many years and uh, you beat them. Uh, we cannot rule out, forget the Badahari fight. Both fights very iconic. That's actually the fight that drew me towards the K1, into yeah. the K1. Uh, winning the K1 2010. Uh, what else? UFC First fight won. UFC, Brock. UFC, Brock, Brock great fight. So it's, it's been uh, many, many, many good fights. Can I ask, Alistair, are you guys friends outside the octagon? You mentioned there Brock Lesnar. Someone like, because there must be huge respect. The fact that you guys are putting your physical health on the line mental health i'm sure at times where you're pushing yourselves to do some extraordinary things respect is there is there friendship with other fighters so some fighters there are some fighters are are dicks you don't like them <laughs> they're just different um, but i have to say the, the the more mature i become and the, the older the more veteran i become i respect other fighters uh, more uh, even fighters that i lost or won i mean yeah i respect them i respect them I can see their, their brilliance in, in, in their fighting or in other fights that they've done because, of course, this is such a high level, right? It's like top five. In I, the mean, world. This, I mean, UFC, and I, and I want to come to that because the UFC, I would say, Alistair, in the last five years, it, it's always been an upward trajectory. The last five years, is, it's exploded. I think we can safely say it's gone a bit more mainstream. 
It is mainstream. It is mainstream. Now. It is You're mainstream. right. According to the numbers, it's uh, similar to Formula One. So it Formula is One is a world sport. Uh, I would even go further to say that MMA is, is, is bigger because there's more participants. You have the UFC gyms coming all over the world and, and you know, fighting. Racing, racing is, of course, great, right? And those guys, the guys are doing a tremendous uh, job. But what we're doing is more, you can relate to it more yeah. in, in daily life, right? Fighting. Yeah, yeah, Everybody it, has their fight. There, there's no doubt about it. And UFC, in your opinion, is it in a really good place right now? Definitely, yes. I mean, <laughs> from where it was, I mean, let's let's go back 25 years. It started 25 years ago, and now, and it, was, and it even was legal in the meantime. From 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 300 people in a, like a gym, uh, small gym arena yeah. to, what was the biggest? Uh, what was the biggest? Brisbane. Ooh, Brisbane, was it? Ronda down in um, how, Australia? How old are you? I am 32. 32, you're still a baby. You're 32. So uh, that was not the biggest, because the biggest was Dynamite uh, Show. K1 versus Pride, 110,000 people. Wow. 110,000. Because that was the Pride days. And my biggest show that I fought at was 88,000 people. 88. So those, those events were bigger than what you was doing. But UFC want to do the Cowboys Stadium. That's going to be the biggest. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys, that's exactly it. They want to do that. There is a huge event coming up here in September. UFC 242, Khabib Nurmagomedov going up against Dustin Poirier. Khabib, give me your appraisal on him. Great fighters both. Right, Khabib is undefeated. The way he dispatched uh, actually made easy work of oh. Connor. Didn't really even get hit. <laughs> and there was so much tension on that fight too, right? Uh, world-class athlete. I think also outside of the cage, uh, yeah, strong, strong character, strong individual. But then you have Dustin Poirier who has actually some losses, but uh, every time bounced back. And uh, the way that he won his last fight was very impressive. So definitely a fight I'm looking forward to. Uh. Conor McGregor, you mentioned him there. I I'm sorry to bring him up. We've got to do it, though. In terms of honest appraisals of Conor, and, and I've got to be respectful, an incredible athlete, incredible fighter. He is someone that does, again, polarise opinion because of his mannerisms and what he says and what he does. What is the... Well, first and foremost, Alistair, what's your thoughts of him? And secondly, what is the locker room? in general think of Conor the locker room the, the other fighters the other stable yeah so I think uh, he's done a great thing for our sport right he's made it even more mainstream I uh, loved his uh, his whole thing with uh, Floyd Mayweather you did love it yeah I did. I did I mean it was hilarious right and it got people watching and and then you know I would even go to far says uh, uh, he was um, leaning in that fight even though the judges scored it differently I thought he was scoring more points um, yeah, in that fight, and I also thought it was early stoppage. So, um, continue about Connor. I did think he was. Uh, it's not all going to be good news about Connor. Uh, <laughs> in his last fight, you see where he lost the belt. I did think he went a little bit too far. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's my opinion. I would not have been such disrespectful as he was. But uh, man, maybe that was part of his strategy. Try to, uh, yeah, get the other side emotional. I mean, yeah. he definitely got the other side emotional, but I, I think it was a little bit in the wrong way. Sorry, on that, how, what balance is here between considering you're in the entertainment industry and you're also in the sports industry, how much do you consider your responsibility to be really, really entertaining as much as you have a responsibility to just be a brilliant fighter and lay a groundwork that way? Well, um, his whole act and his whole demeanor and his whole attitude and his whole marketing got him as far as, you know, so... You cannot really say too much about that. I think it is part of the game. 
I never really used that too much. I guess I'm good at good at it, right? So um, yeah, it's not it's not part of my game. But I've always had to laugh about Kondrovic. Although I did think he uh, stepped uh, made it a boundary too far in his last fight. Alistair, we, we always get a lot of text he needs messages. To, he needs to come back. He needs to win some fights, and yeah. he needs to be funny. I mean, and you notice he's a little bit more positive, a little yeah. bit more funny now. <laughs> So he needs to just come back, win some fights, be funny, and then people will forget about it. What do you say to people out there? There are parents, and, and we get, you, you get the whole demographic. You get people who absolutely love UFC texting. They will be loving the fact that you're on our show this afternoon. You get other people that say that it's barbaric and it's all the rest. What do you say to parents out there? Because we know the mixed martial arts, BBJ, you know, you talked about as well, uh, jiu-jitsu, etc. These are arts that teach discipline. That, that teach the I think skills. I think there are no people who think who are saying it's barbaric because it's legal everywhere now. It right? is, but there so, are people out there that perhaps don't tune in to UFC, don't tune in to watch MMA. That believe it's their belief. It's the same people out there that perhaps don't like boxing. What do you say though to parents, young kids that are saying, "Mum, Dad, I want to get into mixed martial arts." What's I your don't message? Say anything to them? I say, "Have a, enjoy your cricket match." <laughs> Some people, I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, it is violence. It is, it is fight sport. Um, if you don't like it, don't look at it. Yeah. Don't, don't come complaining to me, though. No, absolutely <laughs> or, not. Or blocking me, or, or you know, do your own thing. Such as uh, I am not, uh, you know, discrediting Formula One or cricket or the other sports. Last one from me. I know you're a busy boy. You've got other things that you need to do. In terms of your future, in terms of what is next, what is the next 12 months looking like for Alistair Overing? Well, uh, a lot of training, a lot of um, eating, a lot of sleeping. Right? I hope you too. <laughs> now, we'll, uh, we're looking at a fight in October. We're looking for Melbourne. Oh. Great, wow. huge UFC card, 55,000 people. So that would be great uh, if we can push for that. It depends also on the opponents. Right? I think UFC is game, but the other opponents need to be available. Because I'm such high level, there's not that many... Right? So other fighters are booked, other fighters might be uh, injured. So it, it depends um, a little bit on that. You see years ago, but then other opponents. But if it's up to me, October 5th, Melbourne. I actually wanted to be on the uh, Abu Dhabi card, September. You did? Of course, of course. I've not fought in the Middle East, so to me it would be uh, a really nice, you know, nice change, nice trip, great food here. Oh, the food here is yeah. amazing. So, and the fans will be out in force But well. that card was stacked, that card was full. So now we're going for Melbourne card, and we'll see. We'll probably get something done. Okay, looking forward to it. And final one, promise you this is the last one. In terms of that main event here in Abu Dhabi, UFC 242, Khabib against Dustin, how do you see it? You know, I would uh, lean uh, more towards Khabib because he's, he's just been on a tear. And um, I don't know, Dustin Poirier is a good guy, but you have seen him lose before. Khabib, I've not seen him lose before. He never got exposed. So, uh, and his wrestling is, just, oh. is just superior, right? It's so. incredible. Listen, that is the voice of Alistair Overeem. It's been an absolute pleasure, my man. Thank you for taking the time out. I know you arrived late in the country last night, Alistair. The fact that you've taken the time out to pop down and see us, to join us on the radio show, it's an absolute pleasure, my man. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. The voice there of Alistair Overeem. We wish him well, of course. UFC 242, September 7th. It's going to be a tear up down in Abu Dhabi. Stay tuned. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.